you can see my screen. It doesn't matter. I just uh, forgot to put a, a scripture reading in there. And since I know how to do it, I'll do it. All right. Excuse me. I am uh, appreciative of the girls who sang. Uh, that particular song is, uh, uh, it ministered to my heart today uh, in a very powerful way, and I'm, I'm very thankful for it. All right, there we go. Uh, if you can tell, I'm sniffling. I've been sniffling a lot lately. It's not cold. It's, emer it's uh, emotions. And so bear with me. Here we go. All right, we're back on. Guys, thank you. All right, so uh, what I, where I wanted to begin this morning was really with, it's kind of a testimony. Uh, it's kind of just sharing a little bit of my life uh, with you, but it'll be brief. Um, but it's about teachable moments. And uh, I'm sure you've had teachable moments in your life. And I'm not going to spend much time because we've got a lot to cover. But I will say this, this passage of Scripture, Romans 8.28, was one of my most profound teachable moments. I was preaching through the book of Romans at Cornerstone Baptist Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And um, I can't say that like a northerner yet. I still say North Carolina. So uh, I'm working on it, all right? Just like I, I now know how to say, I, when I first got here, I said Concord, New Hampshire, right? Concord is North Carolina. Concord is New Hampshire. So I, I'm learning. I'm learning. Bear with me. But this particular passage... I got to it in the, in the regular preaching of God's Word. I was going through one of the hardest times in my life. It wasn't ministry-related. It was uh, family-related of sorts. And I came to this text that says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Now, I may have shared this illustration with you before in private conversation or even publicly, but those teachable moments of life tend to get repeated. And this verse is telling us that we know something. It says, we know that all things work together for good. I stopped there. I could not go past those words because I was being crushed in my life. It was like God put blinders on me, and I could not get past that word good. I jettisoned that attempt to preach that. I stood in the pulpit the next day and told them, I can't preach this passage because I don't understand it yet. I preached a different sermon, totally different topic. Did that for a few weeks until I was preparing for another sermon in God's providence and His mercy, in the study of that passage, I was forced to read further than the word good, and I discovered that who He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. And I'm sorry for the emotion. You're going to get a lot of it today. I'm sorry. I, it's the way I'm wired, and, and I'm even sorry that I said I'm sorry, because that irritates a lot of you. Um, you tell me, I know. I cover my, my sadness with humor as well. I remember sitting at my computer and crying out to God. 
You mean I'm going through all this stuff so I can look more like Jesus? I said, God, bring it on. And I switched gears and I preached that text the next day because I knew this, but I never knew it. That's my teachable moment. What's yours? Where, where have you encountered Christ? At a moment in your life where you're just like, it doesn't make sense, but in Christ it does. I think all teachable moments are anchored in the Word of God. True, teachable, God-honoring moments are anchored in the Word of God. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It doesn't leave any category out. All of it is given by inspiration of God. It is God-breathed. And it is profitable. We must be in His Word. Why? So we can learn doctrine. So we can be... uh, taught what we are are doing wrong. We can be corrected so we can do what's right and we can be instructed in all areas of righteousness. Only the power of God's Word has the ability to do that for you and for me. That we might be people of God, complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's God's desire for us. And our life should be full of many, many teachable moments. Just a few expectations for today. One, I'm going to challenge you to face the reality of your life. Both in the, in the, in the good and maybe not, not so good. I'm going to share part of my reality of which some of these emotions are being drawn from. I won't give you every, all the details. I'm just going to let you know some stuff, right? As an il- illustration. And thirdly, there will be an invitation. I don't usually give invitations. I'm not good at it. And I have prayed that God would do a work in your hearts today in one of three areas, or all three, or two. As we've been studying the book of Galatians, we have encountered the Christian's reality. And this is part of the reality. There's much to the reality that we have as Christians. But here's part of it. As as Paul has been communicating to the Galatians, he says, because of Jesus' justifying work on the cross, Christians are free to live in freedom. We are not to live in bondage any longer. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are slaves to righteousness. We are able to live in such a way that glorifies God. We could never do that before. We know that when we know we are free when we see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. That's what Pastor Joe t- uh, preached on last week. I had one brother in Christ share with me recently, uh, and, I, and I appreciate this. I do, and I'm, I'm just letting you in on some side chatter. 
as he reached out to me and said, Pastor, you've mentioned twice recently, uh, as I had Jamie preach and Joe preach, that you had a lot going on. I wasn't busy. I was crushed. And I'm so thankful for Joe's message on the fruit of the Spirit last week. I encourage you to go watch it on YouTube. We know we are free when we see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Well, let's just remind ourselves what that is. Uh, Galatians 5.22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is singular fruit, many manifestations of it, which all part of the fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. When there's no law against something, you're free to do it. This is true because every Christian has the Spirit of God indwelling them. And we are able to express this fruit. This fruit is part of our life whether we know it or not. It's the working of the Spirit in our life. I, I, I do think without going into the list of all the, all the sinful stuff that goes on when you're not in the Spirit. But I can say Spirit indwelled people is this true of your life. Is this, are you characterized by love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? Is this, is this part of your character as a Christian? Because we look so much like Jesus. When people see this in our he goes on to say, and those who are Christ have, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. P Joe, Joe treated, he, he covered that text. I'll let you look at the text for that, but I'll just say this. He made it very clear. It's once and done in Christ. It's been crucified. The flesh has no victory over the Spirit. The Spirit wins. The Spirit Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. We have the victory in Christ. And those who are Christ, and if you, if you are a believer in Christ today, then you, you ought to know this truth. And if you are not a believer in Christ, you can't know this truth. But we want you to. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in. In the Spirit. This is the New King James translation. Uh, I actually prefer the ESV, fleshing it out a little bit more for us. It says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Why do I like it? It's not that the words are much different. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Usually when you hear walk in the Spirit, you're thinking live in the Spirit. So although the King James, New King James is accurate, that's not a problem. You can certainly go by it. I'm just saying uh, this idea of live and walk, they kind of are synonymous. But if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. I actually love this as a former military guy, right? You can always take the guy out of the military. You can't take the military out of the guy. I got a military illustration for this. But this is, the, uh, this is a military term. I can't remember if Joe pointed that out or not, but it's let's keep in step. How many of you have ever been marching, whether you're marching band or military? Raise your hand high. All right. Lots of you. Good. So you'll get this. How many of you are military? All right. 
almost the same number. All right. I will say this. If you ever want to have a fun time, you go to the chaplain school when they, on their first day where they practice marching. You will have so much fun. Bring your cameras. And that's what happened. I, I had four years of Army ROTC. I, had, I knew how to, I could march in my sleep. I knew all the different turns, left column, right column, left flank, right flank, you know, about face, all those, all those different things, or to the rear march, excuse me, all those different things of marching. And so we show up today, and I'm like, okay, here we go. I've been here, done that, and I'm standing there, and all of a sudden I realize there are cameras everywhere. I'm like, what is going on? This is weird. People are snickering, laughing. They knew what was coming. I did not. So we're marching, you know, we had done, maybe, uh, maybe we knew a little bit, you know, you're just marching along. And all of a sudden the command comes, left flank, right? A column left means the first guy, right, he turns, and everybody then turns in like manner, right? And they all turn at the same spot, you know, and go, left flank means you all turn at one time, and there's this big line of people, Right? You're all walking single file. They say left flank. You turn, and you're all walking like this, except for what happened. It was like a starburst went off. People started going everywhere. I'm sitting here like, what is going on? Laughter, all kinds of stuff, because they had never learned how to be in step. It had to be practiced. It had to be um, taught Paul is telling the Galatians, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Pattering your life. It takes practice. You may have a misstep once in a while. The encouragement is here is let's keep in step with him. Uh, Joe, Joe made it very clear that we are saved by grace, but we are also li- we live that way. We're supposed to live daily that way. So let's live in step with the Spirit. That, that's really what Paul is addressing here. And then he, Paul, or Joe, you got to love Joe, right? He stopped there. There's one more verse in the chapter. What am I supposed to do with that? Right? I was like, well, there must be a good reason. Uh, but he, he actually uh, challenged us with this. Walking in the Spirit, this is the way he des- uh, described it. Living in active dependence on God. Living in active dependence. I think part of the... My, my motivation will be the active word here, all right, as we go through this text. Living in active dependence on God. So as we look at chapter, the last verse of chapter 5 into the first five verses of chapter 6, uh, this is the, I forgot to put that in here. I wanted to read through it once. Uh, then he uh, began to buke, uh, oh, no, I copied and pasted and didn't do it right. Ah, I hate it when I do those things, all right. Here we go. Uh, I copied and pasted it but then didn't actually fix it. So it is Galatians 5, 26 through 6, 5. There we go. We're back. All right. He says, on the heels of that verse, he says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. 
For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. That's the passage we're going to cover today. And so as, as we consider the Christian's reality, uh, living in active dependence on God has some do's and don'ts. And so let's, let's, uh, let's consider what we ought not to do, right? What, what we're not supposed to do as we're living in uh, dependence upon God, active dependence. He says in verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is a fairly straightforward command, right? Do not be conceited. And that word basically means, I love this, full of empty boasting. We all know that when a cup is, is empty, it's not empty, right? It's, it's, it's not, it doesn't have water or soda or milk or whatever it has, coffee, whatever. It has air. But we call that empty. And, and, and what uh, Paul is saying, he says, listen, don't be conceited. Don't be full of empty boasting. We all kind of, we all kind of know the idea of what a conceited person looks like. We may see it or not recognize it. We may, we may, we may uh, have to draw upon stories we've read. Maybe you haven't experienced it fully. But this is what we are not to be. We are not to be full of empty boasting. This is a theme that will run through the remainder, I think, of, of, of Paul's letter, in one sense, this idea of conceited, being full of empty boasting. And he, then he kind of expands on it, expands on the, the understanding. It says, provoking one another. This idea of provoking is to call out to fight. It's, it's uh, uh, I can name 3,000 movies where there's somebody, some, some bully that calls the wrong guy out to fight, Right? I saw one recently where it was a, a scrawny guy calling out a guy that was massive. And I'm thinking, this is unrealistic, right? Um, but he was taunting him. You know, the old poke in the chest? That's the idea here, right? He's saying, call him out to fight. He's challenging. He says, listen, don't do that. Don't be conceited. Don't be full of empty boasting. And part of this empty boasting is the idea of provoking one another thinking that we're better than our brother or sister in Christ. He, I think he's going to get fleshed out a little bit more here, but it's the idea that somehow we think we've arrived when we see someone else sinning in a way we don't sin. How can they do that? Oh, my word, that's, that's obnoxious. That's, that's horrendous. That's, that's horrible. You know, I would never do that. We're going to be encouraged here in a couple minutes, you know, in, in the text uh, to, to actually, actually confront some sin in others. But, but it's not to call out to fight. There's a different purpose. These are the things we're not supposed to do. We're not supposed to be full of empty boasting. We're not supposed to provoke one another. This is in, within the body of Christ for sure. He says envying one another. The idea is to be jealous which is pretty obvious to be jealous, to be envious. Uh, they have something I don't have. I'm jealous. But I like the rest of, uh, I had to look at a bunch of different dictionaries, uh, Greek dictionaries, and, and I, I saw that it said to bear ill will. And I'm like, am I, when I'm jealous, and I am jealous, I have been jealous in my life, right? When, when that happens, am I bearing ill will to this, towards that person? 
Am I exhibiting malice? Am I bearing a grudge? And I started to think, yeah, at times. It's not just that I want what they have. It's I don't think they deserve it. They're not better than me. Our sinful nature is present with us. We are capable of doing these things. Paul is speaking, speaking to churches in the area of Galatia. He's saying it's true of you, and if it's true of them, this can be true of us. Let us not become conceited. Let's not provoke one another. Let's not envy one another. Those are the things that we are supposed to not do. When we fail to live in active dependence on God, we exalt ourselves over others. When we are living in step with the Spirit, we can't exalt ourselves over others. That's when, if you, if you are characterized by backstabbing, by backtalking, by, by, by gossip, or whatever it might be, when you're, when you're in your safe zone and you are pointing out the deficiencies of others, you are failing to live in active obedience, active dependence, and obedience on God. And you are, in a, you are, in very real sense, exalting yourself over others. And I'm doing it too when that happens. I'm not saying it's all you. We are in this together as believers because we all have this sin nature that's still alive and well, even though we are in Christ. Is this the type of person you want to be? And I would know that the answer would be no, of course not. You have to answer the question, is that the type of person you are? And if you are, when we get to a time of invitation, whether I remember to say it then or now, let me just say it now, repent. Repent. Let God do His work in your life. Don't fight it. How can we avoid exalting ourselves over others? Uh, this this p- particular portion of, of uh, Galatians is, is fought over and argued about as to, well, there seems to be no, no consensus, no form. No, you know, Paul is usually so organized. I think it makes total sense. So I'm hoping that we can, uh, I can make that uh, obvious to you. How can we avoid exalting ourselves over others? Uh, well, this is what we should do, all right? Don't be conceited. So what are we supposed to do? We can avoid exalting ourselves by desiring the spiritual restoration of others. Have you ever witnessed a brother or sister in Christ sin? Have you ever seen something that you're like, uh-oh, that's not good. Some, someone ought to talk to them. You're right. And it ought to be you. We need to desire the spiritual restoration of our brothers and sisters in Christ when they fall. Paul writes, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, it's very broad, right? Any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So let's just look. First of all, we see brothers. We know he's talking to uh, uh, believers, but this is actually subject verb. Brethren, restore. It's a command. It's not an option. When you see a brethren 
a brother or a sister in Christ overtaken in a trespass, restore. Don't gossip. Don't talk about them. Don't weigh them down with a heavier burden, which we'll look at in just a minute. But restore. That is the command that we are supposed to follow through. The idea of restore is to mend or to set right or to put things in order. It is the mending of fishing nets. It's the mending of a bone. It is, it is the healing aspect. It's, it's making what was wrong right. Jesus did that for us, didn't he? Did he? Did he, did he make what was wrong in your life right? Yes. If you're, if you're a Christian, then yes, he did. It says this word overtaken is the idea to, to catch or to detect, all right? So the sin has possibly taken place by surprise. There's a little bit of conversation about exactly what this means, but the, it's translated as overtaken. Uh, it, I think the idea here is this is not the habitual life-dominating sin of their life category of sin and trespass. This is any trespass. Certainly, I think it's within that. I think by all means, if we see someone manifesting a life-dominating sin, we ought to confront them. But I don't think that's necessarily the specific focus of this text. It's saying if, if the, 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 it's, a, it's a possibility, right? A possibility that is going, you're going to see this in your life. It's a possibility that will more than likely take place in the very near future. If a man is overtaken in any trespass, you have, you and I have a responsibility it's the idea, I know people who got caught in adultery. Multiple people in ministry, I know their names and their faces, and they were caught in adultery. One part of it was because someone who knew the person detected something wrong and followed up on it, and that's how it was found out. So, so both those people were confronted. One was restored the other, I really have no idea uh, what happened. Uh, I'm pretty sure he, that marriage ended. But the, the, the positive expression of this is God stepped in in the one relationship that I know and, and healed it completely. You may not be able to imagine that. But I witnessed, not firsthand, but I've witnessed it from a distance. And, and I praise God for it. He says, if you see it, this man or woman or child overtaken any trespass, you who are spiritual, the, the ones who have the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. Paul's not, we, we're not in a new section that just kind of, oh, now we've passed the list of all the, all the sin and all the fruit of the Spirit. No, this is an outworking of walking in step with the Spirit. It says, you who are spiritual, you who actually have the manifest, uh, the fruit, it's there, Right? You are the ones who are called to restore. And the you is plural. I thought that was fascinating. That we are involved in the restoration of those who have been overtaken in a trespass. We call it church discipline. That's what Matthew 18 calls it. We call it church discipline in the sense of uh, most people think it's the, how do we kick people out of the church? No, it's how do you restore them to health, to spiritual vitality, to, a, to an active a member of the body. It, re it requires repentance on their 
half. It, it, it requires forgiveness on ours. And it requires an act of the Spirit to do His work in lives. And it says, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. Whoever it might be. And we're supposed to do it with a spirit of gentleness. This idea of gentleness was obviously gentle, right? I didn't put that one up there. It's, it's funny how gentleness is defined as by being gentle, all right? Um, I left that one out because it's right there. But it also has the idea of humility, kindness, meekness. This is supposed to be characteristic of us as we are engaging and restoring a brother or sister in Christ. Gentleness is part of the fruit of the Spirit. It's the same word as earlier in the text that we've already read. And so we're called to exercise that aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. And remember, restore. It's a command. You don't, you don't have the... It's not even a privilege. I've got to be careful with that word. You don't have the option. You really don't have the option of ignoring a brother or sister in Christ who's sinning. You need to seek their restoration. To turn the other way is to fail to live in dependence upon the Spirit. To be actively engaged. He says the spirit of gentleness, it's considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Uh, I think it's is, is, is fleshing out a little bit more about what the gentleness looks like. And so I, I decided to just list it this way. A spirit of gentleness confronts sin. We, we see the word kindness and we're thinking, well, I, you know, I, listen, the sin that we are, we, the responsibility we have to confront is an expression of love to our brother or sister in Christ. It's not about us. The us part is recognizing we have this responsibility before God. And so therefore, in a spirit of gentleness, that means we are confronting sin. While we're doing this, a spirit of gentleness recognizes the mutual reality of sin in all Christians. I hope that's not a surprise for you today, by the way, that you're a sinner. I, I always say there's two types of people in the world, sinners and sinners saved by grace. I'm the second one. I'm a sinner saved by grace. And so therefore, when we recognize the mutual reality of sin in all Christians, a spirit of gentleness, it kicks in. And it says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let me not destroy this person. Let me not add to this person's uh, uh, burden that we'll talk about here in a minute. But he's like, let me not add to it. Let me recognize it's only by the grace of God that I'm not struggling with the same thing. Have you ever noticed that you're appalled by the sins that you don't practice? But the sins that you're, you know, habitual or a part of your life, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah, I wish I could get over that. All right. A spirit of gentleness is cautious not to condemn. That would be, for us to condemn another person's sin would be conceit, as if we had never sinned. That's why I think this, this runs through this whole text of Scripture. Don't be conceited. Don't be full of empty boasting, thinking somehow you've arrived or you're on a higher spiritual plane. You're a sinner. And so don't condemn in the sense, obviously, you're not affirming their sin. You're, you're confronting their sin. We've already talked about that. But you're not condemning it in the sense that it, it could lead you. And that's really, I'll look, we'll look at the verse again in just a moment. But it's the idea of, that's a, that might be a temptation of you, of yours. 
name in your mind the most appalling sin that you can think of and ask yourself, ooh, am I guilty of condemnation? Thinking somehow I, was, I would not be capable of that if I were having some other, uh, uh, someone, someone else's life. So it's cautious not to condemn, which would be conceit, or to condone, to make excuses. As, as we look at the text, um, let me, actually, I need to go backwards. Sorry, I meant to put this there. Considering yourself, right? So you have the spirit of gentleness as you're restoring a brother or sister in Christ. But considering yourself, you, you are part of this dynamic. And he's saying, listen, uh, uh, you, you are also a sinner, so don't be full of conceit, but lest you also be tempted there's a real sense that if you are helping restore someone who has fallen into sin in some capacity, if it is your area of sin, you may be tempted in the same area, or you may just be tempted to conceit, all right? And that's, and that's uh, lording it over, thinking that somehow you're better than the other one. It's all kind of uh, mixed up in there, depending on the circumstances of what's going on and who, what the sin is and what your relationship is into it. So we confront, we recognize we're all sinners, and we're cautious not to condemn or con- to condone. So we can avoid, uh, secondly, uh, 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 exalting ourselves. And I'm looking at, uh, we got time. Uh, we can avoid exalting ourselves by carrying the burdens of others in love. How are you doing in the carrying of burdens, right? Other people's burdens. He says uh, here, again, another command, bear, carry, right? Carry the heavy weight or stone. Carry is the, is the word bear. Burden is the idea of a heavy weight or stone. I, this is also not an option. But this is the essential nature of our body of believers. Right here, right now, there are people in this room who are under heavy weight. It might be a weight tied to a sin, or it might be another weight. And when we get into this text, it's not really specific. It's just talking about the crushing nature of a weight that they must carry. And we're told... Carry it with them. Be those brothers and sisters who are not afraid to get involved in other people's lives. Carry the weight, the tremendous crushing weight that is on, that is in or on the lives of those who are your brothers or sisters in Christ. The law, okay, says if you do this, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now, for sake of time, we could go on a lot uh, more about what Paul might mean in this particular context about the law of Christ. But we have talked about the law of Christ a lot over the last year, and we have summed it up as the law of Christ is the law of love. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. If you, are, if you fulfill this, you fulfilled the law. And Jesus comes on the scene, and he is the exemplar of this love. He is the completer of the law, the fulfiller of the law. He's the only one. And the reason we can say that we're free is because he has made us free. But we are called to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. 
This is hard words, but this is the truth. To live the law of Christ is to know the reality of who you are. You and I are nothing outside of Christ. The only value we have is the value that God places on us. And the value God places on us, he says, out of love, I send my son to die on your behalf. You are nothing without Christ. Anyone believing differently is deceived. If you, and this is where I just ask you to own it if it's you. And if it's not you, don't own it. But if you are a holier-than-thou, Bible-thumping, whatever-you-want-to-call-it person, stop. Just stop. There are people in our world and in our churches who are being crushed. And if you are somehow thinking that you're something when, according to Scripture, you're nothing, outside of Christ, and if you're not acting in love in Christ, then, then, you're, then you're acting like an unbeliever, right? There are people smothered, crushed by what life has dealt them in the sovereignty of God. And don't you dare think you've arrived. So that's, I, I will say it again, repent. Holier than thou, people. I've been holier than thou. I'm not, I'm not saying anything to you. I'm not saying to myself. There's a process of maturing that takes place in a believer's life. And part of that maturing process is to understand we are nothing outside of Christ. And no matter how vile the sin might be, and I'm not going to put names on it. Because when I do that, I target a group of people that should not be targeted. Groups of people that should not be targeted. Because it is only by the grace of God we are not struggling with other people's sin. Have you ever felt the crushing weight of sin in your life? Have you ever felt the crushing weight of life, of difficulties, where you feel like you're all alone? And your brothers and sisters in Christ can come alongside and they can add to the weight or they can help you carry it. What kind of person do you want to be? I know what I want to be. This is the Christian's reality. But now i got to just share my reality, and for the sake of time, I will try to make this brief, and I will try to move through it. I'm not going to share your details. I would kind of be pointless, to be honest with you. What I want to do in this particular illustration of my reality is to brag on the power of the Holy Spirit working in the lives of you. Two times in my life I've been crushed. Maybe three. When my mom died, I was crushed. I was better prepared for my dad. It wasn't that I wasn't sad. It wasn't mean I didn't love him as much as I loved my mother, but I, I will say that I wasn't crushed. So I was crushed with that. Second time was the one I shared at the beginning. All things work together for good. Crushed. Don't get it. 
teachable moment. I'm going through another one. The last month and a half have been the hardest month and a half of my 26 years of ministry. And I say that in full recognition that those that love me in this room are going to be like, oh no, poor pastor. No, this is my reality right now. And it's good. Because all things work together for good. Do you believe in the sovereignty of God that things happen in your life and He does things to, to, to make it true? Every time I, be, I consider going through a book of Scripture, and I didn't do it for this one. So it's not every time, but it is now. I ask God, what are you going to teach me through this? What are you going to bring about in my life, in the life of the church that I'm pastoring? What are you going to bring that's going to help us bring this truth home? How can we avoid exalting ourselves? That's, i got to go back. I'm sorry, I went the wrong way. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Galatians 5, uh, 6, 2, right? Didn't know that was the lesson that God needed to teach me and is teaching me. So in, in, in hindsight, I, honestly, I'm kind of cried out. I cried all morning in preparation for this sermon. I, I pray, God, give me the appropriate amount of emotion. But right now I'm feeling a little like, I'm done. But this is my opportunity to brag on the Holy Spirit working in your lives. When I felt that God was being silent in my life, you ever felt that? God, I'm being crushed with my insecurities. I'm being crushed with with whatever is going on, I don't understand it. It's not a why, God, because I know, God, you're good. You've taught me that lesson. All things work together for good for those who are in Christ. So I know you have purpose in this. What is the purpose? Why are you so distant from me? I'm lying on my bed next to my wife. I'm calling out to God. We, I'm crying. She was a rock. And a sister in Christ sends me an email. Do you think God does not know when you're being crushed? He's not far away. A sister in Christ, and I can't look to where she normally sits because I'll point her out and I will just break down. Because this sister in Christ did not know I was going through a hard time. The email starts off, hey, pastor, you mentioned you get some emails from time to time, you know, dealing with issues, different things. I hope you get some positive emails. I do. She goes, but I wanted you to know. And she proceeded to list the way she's appreciative 
of me. And then she proceeds to attach a video. And it's literally the names of God from Genesis to Revelation. It's 11 minutes long. My wife and I are listening to it. And at about 30 seconds in, I'm done. I had told a friend of mine that I felt like God was being silent. He says, yeah, I've been there. God broke his silence through that email and that video. And I have subsequently been ministered to. It was three days in a row. Ladies, I don't know what kind of information chain flows through this place. But I had three days in a row where I had sisters in Christ reach out to my wife or I, encouraging us, not knowing anything was going on. It's not sin. It's ministry. You have borne my crushing burden, and I thank you for it. But I thank you knowing it's Christ in you. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit working out through your life. You are being those people who are being used to minister to me. And I want to brag on God for that. I did not ask for this, nor do I want to talk about it anymore. All I want to say is, praise God for his people who are willing to carry burdens. It wasn't just them. There are people who know what's going on in, in my heart and in my mind, and, and they're there for me. And I hope they're there for you, and that will be part of the invitation to come. But we got to get going here, all right? So we're through with my reality. The third and final way we avoid exalting ourselves is by testing our walk in the Spirit, not the walk of others. We're going to go long. All right. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. All right? Kind of a strange text, to be honest with you. I wrestled with it and wrestled with it. So hopefully this will make it, uh, make it clear. This idea of examining, it's to put to the test. But let each one put to the test his own work. Is it gold, silver, precious stones? Is it wood, hay, stubble? What is it? But let each one examine. It's the idea of self-examination. How are we at that? Are we, are we characterized by being those who are self-examining ourselves? Because that's what we're being told to do here. It's a command. Examine each one. Nobody's off the hook. In the context of the corporate nature of our church, each one is to examine his or her own work. I noticed as I was going through that it talked about his own work. And at the very end here, we have, for each one shall bear his own load. I'm not sure if there's a relationship there or not, but it stuck out to me. And I, and I think there may be, because I want to talk about what the work is. And I want to talk, talk about what our load is. The word load at the bottom there is different than the word burden. The word load is the idea of, of cargo. I added the word personal because we're in the context of each one. Personal cargo. It's the idea of how you have your backpack on. You're carrying the things that you're supposed to carry. 
You're carrying the things God has told you to carry. He has put in your life to carry. Those things are good. Although they might be difficult, they're good. This is not the crushing burden. It also says, for each one shall bear this load. It's the idea of a future orientation, possibly pointing to the judgment of works by, of Christians, right? There's coming a time. I don't have the scripture verse up. I knew I was going to be running out of time. There's this coming judgment. Not judgment for salvation or sin. That's the great white throne judgment. That's going to take place where the, the sheep and the goats are separated. But there's a judgment coming for Christians that is going to evaluate our works In this life, we are called to walk in step with the Spirit. That means that we're supposed to do what God has called us to do in the way God has called us to do it. We need to test our walk. Not just look in the mirror. Get on your knees. And ask God, Lord, is there any wicked way in me? We really are prone to walk, excuse me, to, to test the work of others, the walk of others. It's so easy, folks, and we need to not do it. And I think it's pretty obvious, so i, I got to keep going. So I'm asking you to, as we gain head towards an invitation, what load are we supposed to carry? What load is it? Well, I, don't, I can't say it exactly the way what Paul had in mind, but I can say this. From Matthew 16, 24, it says, Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Pretty clear. He says elsewhere in Matthew, Come to me, all you who, are la- who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. There is a yoke attached with following Jesus. Pick up your cross, deny yourself, pick up your cross, follow me, right? Then he says, Listen, I'm going to give you a yoke. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God will never have you carry a crushing burden without providing you a means of those around you to help. God is commanding us to help. How dare we not help a brother or sister who is under a crushing burden. But we know Jesus has already done the hard work for us. We are free to exalt Christ through humble, selfless thoughts and actions towards others. God desires this body of believers to not just be united. Yeah! He calls us to be bearers of one another in our thoughts and in our actions. How are you doing 
in the carrying of your load. The, the load that God says, this is appropriate for you to carry on your own. This is the load that I've given you, and at the, at the uh, final judgment, this is what you're going to be evaluated by. Have you been obedient? Have you been loving? Have you been manifesting the, the, the fruit of the Spirit? Are you living a life that is consistently engaged in, in discovering and believing, connecting, serving, and multiplying? Are you living the life of a disciple? That's the load that we are called to carry. How are you doing in the carrying of your crushing load? I'm telling you right now, I'm doing great. Praise God and thankful for you. How are you doing in caring and caring for those around you who are being crushed? The reality is, I cannot bear certain burdens for some people within this body at this point and in this time. Because my decisions are part of the burden. My decisions have impacted your lives at different stages, different levels. I'm not negating the fact that I am called to make decisions, but I, I really praise God that although I have to make decisions, you are there for your brothers and sisters to help carry the load because I can't do it for certain people at this time. And you can restore them with a spirit of gentleness and love them as Christ loves them, as I love them. I think this is an area where we can excel as believers in Christ. So walking in the Spirit, living in active dependence on God, that's what we're called to do. Stay in step with the Spirit. But it doesn't just stop with you. We need to be in living in active dependence on God with our brothers and sisters. Or we're not a healthy church. The scripture reading today was, was Jesus talking to his disciples. And we've looked at it a couple different times here. But let's not lose sight of who it is we came to worship here today. The crushing Weight of sin was dealt with on the cross. And we have the ability to live a life of freedom. Live a life that glorifies him. As one brother in Christ has pointed out recently, it's so that we get to know Jesus better each day. Isn't that good? We are called to walk in the Spirit, walk in step with the Spirit, living in active dependence on God, and we're called to do it together. And so as I, as I just have this word invitation up here, I'm not going to call you forward, although I thought I might. I'm going to ask you all to stand. We're not going to have the final song. I'm going to ask you to stand. And I'm going to ask you to keep your eyes open. How are you doing in the carrying of your load? What I'm asking for right now is we are, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. 
You would not know there was something going on in my life unless I shared it with you. I had one sister in Christ say, hey, you seem kind of down. I, 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 I didn't even lose a heartbeat, skip a heartbeat. And I said, oh, I'm not wearing my mask well enough. This was about a month ago. And she looked at me wide-eyed, like, no, I'm, I had the mask on, but it was showing. And I've taken my mask off for you today. I'm asking you to take your masks off today. If you are struggling in carrying the load that God has for you, not the crushing load, the load that God in His sovereignty says, I love you, but you must walk this path. What I'm asking you to do is just turn in your place, kneel at your seat, and pray. And I mean it. This isn't for show. Because as we go further down this list, you'll have an opportunity, Lord willing, to minister to others. How are you doing in the carrying of your crushing load? Right? Am I the only one that's going through a crushing load that says, God, God, I can't bear it alone. I really wrestled with whether to do any of this today. Because I don't want you worried about me. This is good. But I'm called to be a shepherd. And shepherd lead the sheep. And if you never get to see what a crushing load looks like, how are you supposed to minister to it? How are you doing in caring for those around you who are being crushed? I ask you, wherever you are, just look around. If there's someone nearby you, and I'm asking you not to come up here right now, right? but if there's somebody nearby you, they're your brother or sister in Christ. As I close in prayer, would you minister to them? Would you let them know that you are there for them? I do not know if there's a single person kneeling right now. I'm too teary to know. But would you let them know that you're willing to carry their crushing load with them? And would you commit to do that from this point forward within this body of Christ? Let's pray. Father, I have no idea what's going on in the hearts and minds of your people right now, but I do know this. You're an awesome God that will never give us more than we can handle. You have expectations of us as disciples of Jesus Christ, and we are called to live those day by day. But then there are those teachable moments where you see fit to allow us to endure crushing loads, crushing burdens, fully 
expecting your brothers, our brothers and sisters of Christ, your children, to meet, to meet that need and to help carry that load. And Father, maybe I am the only one today with a crushing load, but I, I thank you for the brothers and sisters that have ministered to me. It has been tangible. It has been, it has been a declaration of your faithfulness to me that you are God and you have not forgotten me. Father, may the people in this room, whether it's right now, whether there's people dealing with it right now, I do not know, but Father, whether it's right now, may they know that you have not forgotten them. And then you have just provided a sermon to confront all brothers and sisters in this room with their, their, your demand of obedience to carry the burden with them. Father, may this be a teachable moment for all of us to know that if the burden's not there now, it might be there tomorrow. And if we live in our high and lofty spiritual kingdoms and our spiritual castles and we never, uh, we never humble ourselves and, 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 and live in reality to think that it's only by the grace of God we're not being crushed, Lord, help us to be those people who are restoring in gentleness, kindness, humility, with an active dependence upon you to meet the needs of others. Father, we're going to close now, and I just pray that your Holy Spirit is doing his work in lives. I have to believe it's true because we're all here every Sunday to sit under the preaching of your word that is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. May you be glorified in the heart response of your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. No song. I love you. I appreciate your love for me. Uh, if, there, if there were any ministering going on, I would encourage you to continue. Don't let people social, uh, let people leave. You, you just keep ministering to your brothers and sisters in Christ today. And may God be glorified in it. You are dismissed.